This last week, last Sunday, as you know, was Divine Mercy Sunday. Divine Mercy Sunday was established by St. John Paul II, thanks to someone that he had known there in Poland, um, Faustina, now St. Faustina. Jesus appeared to St. Faustina number number of years back and gave us the image of the Divine Mercy. It's actually hanging up in the back of the church here. It's the image where, where it shows Jesus' blessing, and then there's, from his side, these two streams of light, one blue, one red. Blue or, or white symbolizing the water that came from Jesus' side when he was pierced on the cross, and then red symbolizing the blood that, that was poured out for us. Anyway, with last Sunday being that, that feast day, I was reading some of the different quotes from St. Faustina from her diary. This one quote really stood out to me. It's Jesus speaking to Faustina. He says, The greatest obstacles to holiness, that is to become a saint, to, to enter heaven, the greatest obstacles to holiness are discouragement and an exaggerated anxiety. Let me say that again. The greatest obstacles to holiness are discouragement and an exaggerated anxiety. I think it stood out to me because I've had both, <laughs> both discouragement and exaggerated anxiety. And I'm guessing many of you have as well um, at home and, and so forth. But I, I want to speak specifically about discouragement in today's homily. Uh, mostly because the, the two disciples leaving Jerusalem, the two disciples going to Emmaus, they're discouraged. They're discouraged. And I, I want to I speak about how, how Jesus approaches them and how he dispels the discouragement. What, what's taking place with, within this context? So, so Jerusalem, as you likely know, is the place where the church... Um, the church comes together. The church means the assembly of believers, those that have faith in God. And they always gather in Jerusalem. They're on, on the Feast of Passover, most of all. It's why Jesus was crucified on the Passover. There were all kinds of people there. Also on the Feast of Pentecost, the Jews would gather there in Jerusalem. It was the Feast of, of Thanksgiving and bringing in the harvest. Other times they would also gather there. Jerusalem was the place, of course, where God dwelt there in the temple. And they would gather there to Jerusalem so as to get close to God, to come together and worship God. That's the significance of Jerusalem. It has even more significance for us as Christians because it's the place where Jesus died, rose from the dead, as well as ascended into heaven. So when these two disciples are so discouraged, you know, Jesus has died. They think he's still dead. Their own rulers are the ones that, that crucified Jesus. They're so discouraged. Three days have passed, and they decide, we're going to leave this place. And they decide to walk the seven miles to Emmaus. I don't know if Emmaus was the place where they lived. Likely that was the case. But, but it also could be just part of the journey. Well, it, it was the place where they lived because they obviously had a house. So, so they're, they're, they're walking along, and they're just talking with one another. One is named Cleopas. So I haven't done much study on this, but others say that it was actually his wife that was walking with him because when it mentions about the people standing up before the cross, it says, Mary, the wife of Cleopas. So it's a thought that this is the same man. 
Cleopas, um, and then it's his wife Mary that's walking along with him, and they're discussing. Others say that it was two men. I, I don't exactly know. I would need to study it further. But these two disciples of Jesus, who knew him closely, they're walking along, and Jesus comes from behind them, approaches them, and he says to them, what, what, what are you talking about? What are you discussing as you walk along? That sentence, like, what are you discussing, causes these two disciples, who are discouraged, who have lost hope, it causes them to stop. To stop meaning they have stopped going away from the church, the place where believers gather to worship God. They stop looking downcast. And then they tell Jesus, that they don't even know it's Jesus, but they, they verbalize what's going on within their hearts and how they had hoped. You know, we were hoping that he would be the one. We thought that he was going to redeem Israel. We, we, we were hoping that, but they're not hoping that anymore. They're discouraged. They've lost hope. And, and how Jesus responds is quite amazing, but before I get to that, I, I want to I want to mention why they've lost hope. Well, two reasons. First of all, they've lost their leader. Second of all, the events did not match up to what they thought the events should be. Meaning that the events of, of Jesus taking, you know, and establishing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven did not match up with how they thought he was going to establish the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It didn't match up, and they're discouraged. And when Jesus listens to what they say, he says something that kind of pulls them to reality. He says, oh, how foolish you are. He reprimands them. Oh, how foolish you are. Folks, discouragement is actually foolish. To be discouraged is foolish. That's, that's what Jesus says. But he doesn't stop there. He continues, and he says, Was it not necessary that these things should happen? He shows them that, why they had to happen. But he couldn't show them why they had to happen unless they asked Jesus and told him what was going on within their hearts. Only then after they reveal what's going on in the hearts, the discouragement to Jesus, then Jesus is able to respond in such a way that dispels the discouragement. But it takes time. Remember, Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever walked seven miles. Uh, I'm guessing some of you have. The longest that I've gone is, is 13 miles. I ran a half marathon, and I did it in two hours and ten minutes. So, Half of 13 is, is, what is it, six and a half, so it's almost, so it, it took me about a little over an hour to go seven miles. All of the first seven miles were probably quicker than the last, than the last six. So I, I, uh, I imagine these two disciples, they're walking along, maybe it's a brisk walk, they're probably going four miles per hour, it's going to take them two hours to get from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it doesn't say at what point when that, that Jesus approached them. 
But we know it was a great length of time for Jesus to actually open up the Old Testament, the scriptures to them, and, and said, this is, this is what was supposed to happen. So they're walking along. And Jesus slowly reveals to them why it had to happen this way. When you and I get discouraged, it's because things aren't going the way we want them to happen. And because they're not going the way we want them to happen, we're discouraged. But when we realize they were supposed to happen that way, what happens to our discouragement? It disappears. So Jesus then reveals to them why he had to die, why he had to rise from the dead, why, you know, all the chief priests and scribes had to, you know, you know do all these things. Had to, meaning that they freely did it. And God uses their freedom to bring about some good. So Jesus reveals to them, and he talks to them. Why? It's because he wants to reveal to them that their idea of how they think reality should be is not the way reality is. And he speaks to them, and he talks to them, and they listen to him, and they listen to him. And he slowly but surely turns their discouragement into hope. And they still know that they're talking to Jesus. And then I, I love that next part. So, so remember, the, as they were walking along, at some point when Jesus approaches them, they stop. Then they start walking again. And Jesus walks with them away from Jerusalem, going down the discouragement road. Jesus walks with them down the discouragement road. Slowly, but surely turning that discouragement into hope again. And then when the two disciples stop the second time, they're going to stop now because they're going to you know, stay the night at the place, Jesus acts like he's going to go further. He's going to go further in the journey of discouragement. But at this point, he has changed their hearts enough that they say, no, we don't want to. And they invite this one who's been walking with them to not go further from Jerusalem, but to stop. Jesus does this because he wants them to make a free choice. Don't let me go further away from Jerusalem. Of course, he's not going further from Jerusalem because he's Jesus, obviously, though they see it as that. And they get Jesus to stay with them. And he comes on in. And I just, just imagine this. So, so we, they jump to the point when they're eating together. I, I don't know about, about you, but if you've just come from a journey, and you come into your house, it's going to take some time before a meal is prepared. It's, it's likely going to. There, there, there might be something prepared for them you know, already, but it's going to take a few minutes, you know, whatever long, to set the table and get things ready. And Jesus, of course, is talking with them during that time. And it's not until they sit down, recline at table, that, that Jesus does what he's done multiple times before. He doesn't say that he's celebrating Mass, but every Christian immediately knows that's what's happening. He takes bread, blesses it, and gives thanks. And gives it to them. And only then do they recognize this is Jesus. And Jesus vanishes, he disappears. And then they say to each other, with great hope now, 
They say, were not our hearts burning while he spoke to us? Were not our hearts burning as he walked along with us? Were not, was, wasn't our discouragement turning into hope when he was with us, as we were opening our hearts to him? And then they do something that's probably the fastest somebody has ever walked from Emmaus to Jerusalem. They travel back to Jerusalem, where the church is. Where the, where the people are gathered together. And they immediately go to the place where, where it says the apostles are. And they tell them, this is what happened to us. And they're all beginning to slowly believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. That reality is different than what they imagined it to be. And that even though this great disaster of Jesus dying on the cross, his disciples scattered, even though this has happened, they're now beginning to see, no, this was supposed to happen. This disaster was supposed to take place so that hearts might be saved, that hearts might turn to God. And they're filled with hope. The discouragement has disappeared because they were interacting with Jesus. So, so how does this apply to us? Notice, how, notice what Jesus does to change their discouraged hearts into, into hopeful hearts. What Jesus does is he, he opens up the scriptures. I was going to say he reads the scripture. We didn't have any any scrolls there, but he had the scriptures memorized, and he, he recites these verses of sacred scripture to these two disciples, getting them to realize, no, these events were supposed to happen this way. It's why the church tells us again and again to listen to the scriptures, to read the sacred scriptures. It's why we're all supposed to have a Bible in our, in our home, a Bible without dust on. And we open up the scriptures when we're discouraged and we read the sacred scriptures. And then through reading the sacred scriptures, through allowing Jesus to speak through them, through the sacred scriptures, our discouraged hearts disappear. And we again have hearts full of courage, hearts of hope, hearts of trust in God. That the church, all of us um, clergy, we're, we're required to pray the liturgy of the hours every day, which is a series of scripture passages, specifically the Psalms but also other passages as well. And it's because every, every clergyman must, must go back to the scriptures to give him strength. But since the Second Vatican Council, and even before that, the whole church, every Christian is encouraged to read the sacred scriptures because in reading the sacred scriptures, it gives us courage and encouragement during times of difficulty. It's how the rosary actually developed. I don't know if you ha happen to see this, but Pope Francis again told us to, to pray the rosary. He's, he's told us multiple times, pray the rosary every day. And he said specifically during the month of May to pray the rosary for the end of this epidemic. But what is the rosary? It's this meditations upon sacred scripture, the events of the Bible, the events of Jesus Christ. And when we meditate upon those mysteries, what happens we're given hope. And you say, Father, I, I prayed the rosary, and I sure wasn't given hope when I prayed the rosary. I, I can relate to that. There are times I've prayed the rosary. 
and I've just gone through the motions and I haven't received. You know, well, for two things. When we pray the rosary, actually meditating upon the mysteries of Christ, these, these mysteries which bring us hope, when we meditate upon them and place our trust in Jesus, then we do have hope. But if we pray the rosary, thinking about all the funk and all the discouraging things in our life, not relating them to Jesus within the rosary, nothing happens. It's like saying, I'm in this mud puddle. I'm sinking in the mud. Help me. Help me. Help me. I'm sinking in the mud. Help me. And as that hand comes out to, to help us, we don't reach out to the hand. But we're so focused on the mud and how we're sinking. We're encouraged to read the sacred scriptures, we're encouraged to pray the rosary because in reading the sacred scriptures and praying the rosary, we are to, during those things, we're to bring our hearts to Jesus. And when we relate all the funk, what's going on within our lives, the discouraging things, then Jesus gives us hope. But in order for us to, in order for us to have hope, we got to stay with Jesus. We can't say, hey Jesus, I got this problem. You know, please help me, and then go off and continue to, to you know, look at the mud, to continue to go about our, our day doing the same stuff we did before. No, we got to actually take time and allow Jesus to speak to us. And how He speaks to us, first of all, is, is actually how He stays with us. First of all, is by listening to us. And only then, after we began to listen to Him, does He begin to, to tell us how foolish our discouragement is. Well, He does it slowly, ever gently. And he reveals to us what needs to take place. And how these events in our life take place to bring about some good to change us. So, so folks, all of you at home as, as you're listening to me here, I, I want to really encourage you as much as you can to take time every day for prayer. To, to pull out your Bibles. I know some of you guys are already, a number of you are praying the rosary. I, I think that's excellent. That's great. But others of you, don't be afraid to go in that direction. To really take the time to, to stay with Jesus and to tell him what's going on, especially during this, this uh, pandemic of the coronavirus, that, that we may not be discouraged at what is taking place, but, but maybe most of all, we may not be discouraged at the decisions that leaders are making particularly if, if they're making decisions that we don't like, that we may not be discouraged, but that we may continue very humbly to live our lives in relationship to Jesus, not looking upon the disaster as a, a moment of discouragement, but looking upon the disaster and saying, God's hand is in this somewhere. God's hand is in this coronavirus pandemic somewhere. And I've already heard from, from some of you how you're growing in faith during this time. Particularly how you're longing for the Mass. That's a good thing. Hearts are being changed. But in a very particular way too, I realize other hearts are, are going way deep into discouragement. They're walking away from the church, from the Holy Jerusalem. But as much as you can, continue to allow your hearts to stay with Jesus. 
and to keep others staying with Jesus. Because we're not made for discouragement. We're made for hope. We're not made for hell, which is a total pit of discouragement. We're made for heaven, where everyone is faithful. At this Mass, let's pray for that grace. The grace to walk with Jesus, to tell him our discouragements, and to allow him to give us hope.